This is the Gospel Revolution. Since you're knocking on the door, you're begging to come in, yeah. Unaware that all the wild love's been knocking from within. You are the love you see. A perfect yet unique Here's the founder and president of the Gospel Revolution, Michael Lilborn Williams. Good eye, Mike. <laughs> Don? Oh my gosh, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> How are you today, Daniel? I am doing good. Well, we have a greeting from the past, and that would be Don, and we want to greet those in the future in the year 2060 today. 2060. Uh, well, do I ever remember 1960? What what a difference a life makes. Oh, well, I shouldn't do that stuff. <laughs> but 2060 coming up, and of course, that is a full 100 years from 1960. Uh, 1960, I turned eight years old. I remember uh, watching the debates, I think it was in 1960. I'd have to go back and check my facts. But um, I remember staying up and watching uh, the election returns. <laughs> Everybody mm. else went to bed. <laughs> the TV, which normally signed off at 11 o'clock, stayed on to bring election results. So I had to sit real close because. Uh, to the TV to turn it down very low so that I wouldn't wake anybody up in our 600-square-foot home. You know, now that you're beginning the 60s of this century, uh, watch out, 60s can be wild. At least they were for us. <laughs> now, Daniel wasn't around in the 60s. No. Yeah. He's been kind of bragging about that this morning. <laughs> but one thing for sure, you listen to our music. That's uh, nobody does not listen. Nobody does not listen. Okay. Uh, to our music in the 60s and the 70s, the best music that was ever produced. Actually, uh, I used to play it a lot. Um, so my dad, um, many of you know, is a pastor. And a Christian pastor, and he has taken a lot of these 60 music because that was something he loved, and he's a musician as well. And he took them and he changed lyrics and made them uh, <laughs> Christian lyrics. And so we had a band, it was called PT and the Holy Rockers. Oh, no. And my dad is PT, Pastor Tom, and I was a Holy Rocker, and I was on the keyboard uh, playing 60s music to Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Lyrics. <laughs> uh, one to get ready. Two, to, uh, let's see. One to get ready. Two to something. And three. And now, go, Jesus, go. I guess is the way you did that, huh? Yeah, there was, uh, uh, I remember one for the Father, two for the Son, three for the Spirit, all in one. So, won't you oh, put on you, your gospel shoes? That's what you did to it. Oh, how terrible. <laughs> You can preach anywhere, have on your gospel shoes. <laughs> well, you can heal the sick, you can raise the dead, not drunk on the wine, but the spirit instead. <laughs> so, do anything that you want to do, but uh, 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 have your gospel shoes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Blasphemy, uh, blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> then there was sweet, oh, 
Holy Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that just shows that generation had nothing going musically and had to (laughs) draft off of everything we did. (laughs) Boy, we used to go to these conferences, though, and we would play these songs, and my God, the crowds would go crazy. Oh, yeah. Because the the music was good, even for the lyrics. Well, I won't go there. <laughs> Who am I to judge, right? <laughs> yeah, who knows what kind of music they'll have in 2060. Yeah, but we did know you guys would be here. That's the uh, aim of this. Uh, 2060, we, we know you're here amongst all of the the uh, I'm sure it has not faded away because uh, just every couple of years uh, now uh, there's another rapture alert, another the end of the mm. world's here, and this is a sign, that's a sign, signs, signs everywhere, signs blocking up a scene. Oh, well, that's another one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we didn't know you'd be here, and we did know that you would be righteous and holy and perfect uh, just as you arrived on the scene. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Uh, if they got things to say, compare it to that, and uh, because that is the completion of the gospel message, is that everyone conceived on this planet now is not born in sin contrary to what you may have been told already you were conceived in righteousness Mm. yeah that's good news that is good news well captain my captain we've got a lot going on don't we we do and one thing i want to do is stop with oh captain my captain because I think that we may have some folks that don't understand that. Now, Daniel does bow down when he says this. And and thanks for playing. No, I wanted people to understand that this, where this term came from and why it started with between uh, Daniel and I. The uh, first thing that you need to know that this is a, I think a Walt Whitman, um, poem is that right Mm -hmm. and it actually was about abraham lincoln uh it was used though uh by robin williams in a movie called dead poet society that movie when it came out uh was startling to me uh because it was a hollywood production of what i was going through at the time of learning to uh think outside of tradition and outside of uh, norms and that thinking differently uh, than what I was told to think was okay. Mm. So uh, when uh, Daniel, I think it was on your first uh, visit, Daniel, I start immediately trying to indoctrinate people to my, <laughs> <laughs> to my playlist of movies that have um, very much, in some cases, very much impacted my life. And Uh, Dead Poet Society, if you have not watched it, or if it's been a few years since you watched it, go back and watch it again. It is a timeless piece um, Mm -hmm. that really does emphasize and uh, help you understand that thinking for yourself is going to be one of the most hazardous things as far as social structure, regardless of what social structure you are in right now. Uh, thinking for yourself is going to be a hazardous thing. 
Mm-hmm. And anyone encouraging people to think for themselves stands in a very hazardous position. So uh, tell me what you're, I mean, you're the one that says this every week. Tell me what that means to you, Daniel. Yeah, you know, as Robin Williams introduced that to his class, it it, it really spoke volumes. You know, I remember watching the, the movie and putting myself into the character's shoes as I was going through that process. And uh, but Robin Williams kind of played this role as one who's teaching these young boys how to, you know, break the, the you know, uh, religion, break uh, the, the train of thought that was there and to truly think for themselves. And for me, Michael was my Robin Williams. Michael was the one who came in and taught me that I can trust my thoughts mm-hmm. and to, to to think for myself. And still does to this day and, and honors and respects that um, Michael doesn't tell me what to think, doesn't tell me how to think in, in any time that I come to ask for advice or guidance or anything like that. It's just a matter of he has a way of helping me to allow myself to think things through on my own um, without uh, directing those thoughts, without affecting those thoughts in any way. And so that's been my respect for Michael, and that's why I call him my captain, because uh, over the years, um, and still to this day, he has been one in my life that has truly allowed me to think freely. And being from one who was so wrapped up in the religious world and so wrapped up in um, authority structures in my life, um, my father and my prophet and many other ministers that were there telling me how to think and telling me what to think Mm. um, to really have someone in my life who I respect to, for the first time, show me what a world would look like if I were truly free Mm. to think and think the thoughts that I want to think. And um, not only that, but think it through to the end. (laughs) You know, uh, I think there's a difference between just having a thought and then thinking that thought all the way through. Uh, what is what does that thought come to conclusion? And uh, my experience from coming out of Christianity was truly that I took and and um, I, I understand I had a benefit as a pastor. I was paid to to study the Word. I was paid to study the Bible. And so when I started understanding grace and the gospel, I I had the ability to spend eight hours a day studying, mm-hmm. and I did that. And I took every line of the statement of faith that I was given at Raymond that we had for our church, and I studied it out. I studied out all of these doctrines. And not only did I study out what they told me about them, but I took the thought to the end. What happens if you think this all the way through? Mm. What about this? What about the concept of hell? What happens if you think that all the way through to the end? What about big starting point for me was what if Adam and Jesus were really alike in that they both affected all of humanity and think that thought all the way through to the end. And these are the types of processes that uh, I was able to go through in my understanding uh, that brought me to understand the freedom of the gospel. For that, I have much gratitude and much thankful for my captain. He didn't show me uh, what to think. He didn't tell me what to think, but he showed me how to think. And for that, I'm truly grateful and Mm. forever you will be my captain. Well, I, you know, I had to work hard to extract all of that as a compliment, but it was worth the effort. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, uh, this is uh, Daniel's heart in this. And 
That's very flattering. Others uh, that don't want to call me, oh, Captain, my captain can call me Mr. T- Mr. Keating. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the character that Robin Williams played in that movie. It is a strange thing. I've actually lived this out. When you teach and share and help guide someone to think for themselves rather than telling them what to do and how to do it, and this is what's going to turn out if you do this and if you do that. People need to walk their own through their own brain. Mm-hmm. And when you are told uh, what is is, then uh, you're not getting to walk through your own brain. You're walking through somebody else's. And, and that's always loaded with doubt. And you never get to question it because you're questioning the person, not yourself. Mm-hmm. The art of this is that everything that you question is that you're questioning yourself and you don't have to feel inhibited about asking the question because the question is to you, not to somebody or uh, feeling that you're questioning what they are saying. That I hope is what's coming across as Daniel and I do this is that as we question these things and we'll even we'll even joke about questioning each other, you know, because we know that's not what's happening. Uh, we're questioning ourselves. Somehow that all seems to pull together and work. Our desire is that you, uh, each and every one of you benefit from that process. And I was thinking, well, maybe maybe people don't really know this thing that is so familiar to Daniel and I. Maybe you don't understand uh, or see uh, on face value what's actually taking place when you listen to one of these programs. But it is it is a beautiful thing for sure. And um, the uh, respect is not something that you have to demand. It's just there. It's just really quite amazing. Yeah. And, you know, it's a it's a beautiful respect in that. I don't have to do everything Michael tells me to do. Damn it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a matter of the fact that I am uh, freely allowed to think and be free and, um, and have that relationship with someone who in times past, as uh, Paul would have said, mm-hmm. <laughs> in times past, I would have, if I would have come under Michael um, using those terms and Christine, Christianity as my covering, as my mentor, as my pastor or whatever, instead of having the relationship we have now, it would have been of, uh, what's my directive? Tell me what to Mm -hmm. do. Where do I go here? What do I do this? And, uh, how do I think about this verse? How do I think about that passage? And that's gone now. Mm -hmm. And now it's a beautiful thing of, Hey, this is what I see. What do you see? Mm -hmm. And then we go back and forth and, and together, uh, we walk that path and, uh, it truly is a, a wonderful experience. Yeah, uh, it, it really is. And it's uh, submitting those thoughts uh, in a, in an in a atmosphere of great trust that, uh, you know, there just really is no fear of being wrong or be, mm. it being pointed out that that something is wrong. It happens all the time, both ways of the street. And yet uh, there's just not the slightest. Um, inclination to feel that you've been uh, overridden or somebody has done something. and uh, But it's because of the mutual respect that is there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I just thinking of one example, you know, when I was in this transition period, I was still pastoring or maybe I had, I think I had just told my dad that I was going to step down from pastoring mm. and he had come to visit me to, you know, pull me out of the, the grave, I guess. And uh, we were having a discussion and I had told him about, um, I'd asked him a question about, about hell. Um, I don't remember exactly the, the exact question, but I do know it was about hell. And uh, his response to me wasn't what I would have gotten from Michael. Well, let's look at that. Let's study it out. Let's go through it. Uh, rather, his response was, those are dangerous thoughts to mm. have. And right then, the, the conversation was done. It was over. I mean, there was no more because it was, don't think those thoughts, don't think that way. Mm. That's a dangerous way to think. So let's talk about something mm. else, uh, which is so familiar. I mean, that was that was a very familiar place. It might not have been spoken so forward as that one was, but a lot of times when those thoughts had come in my word of faith days, uh, we just said, well, we're not going to get in doubt and unbelief about it and then just move on, brush it under the carpet. But now we're able to have those conversations. Um, now I'm able to have mm. those thoughts without the fear of being wrong mm. without the fear of where this might lead to about the fear of anything like that. Uh, but to truly be able to openly examine it without fear of anything. Uh, uh, yeah. In fact, just the opposite. Hey, let's have some doubt and unbelief about this. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, that's one of the powerful things about knowing that the faith of Christ has carried us through mm. is that we can, we can entertain the doubt and the unbelief rather than internalizing it and torturing ourselves. Uh, you do have doubt. You do have unbelief. Uh, the only difference is, do you discuss it or do you internalize it and torture yourself? It's, it's really is just that simple. It, uh, now, the, the things that you've heard are dynamic transitions still going on in Daniel, still, I'm still going on in me. They are indeed the, uh, the power of thinking for yourself and not internalizing and faking it, you know, one of, well, you remember one of the favorite uh, comments in the Word of Faith movement was fake it till you make it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's like, no, not going to do that anymore. We're not faking it because we've already made it. And uh, everything else is just about how we got here, not how we're going to get there. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. You know, and then as we look at these topics, um, you know, another thing, Michael, that we always discuss and, and is confirmation bias is this freedom mm -hmm. to think it has a, a two-sided coin because there's a, there's a responsibility yeah. that comes with it too. If you're really wanting to think freely in order to know the truth, um, you know, of course you're free to think, you know, a hard line one way or the other that you have that freedom. But if you're truly trying to think freely to discover truth, then there is a uh, responsibility side to thinking freely, and that is is to be aware of confirmation bias. Yes, I. And in fact, I was sharing with Daniel this morning my brand new uh, formula for uh, being able to study and learn on any subject, and I decided to call it the seven seven deadly sins of research. 
uh, seven deadly sins of studying the seven. So now be ready because uh, there's seven deadly sins to research. Grab your notebook, grab your pen. All right, here we go. Number one, confirmation bias. And just fill in the same for two through seven. Uh, confirmation bias is, folks, if you avoid and fight against confirmation bias, you should be trying to prove what you're saying wrong. I'm mm. in communication with uh, uh, several people, and um, uh, the thing that I uh, I gently nudge toward is that we're not trying to prove what we think true. When we have a thought, we try to prove it wrong. Yeah. And it is just magical. I don't know what it is in the full understanding of conveying and learning thoughts. But if, uh, it, well, it's called science, really. Uh, science, that's how science operates. But now when you get into things called theories, theory of evolution, it's still a theory, folks. Please don't let anybody tell you that it's a, that it's a law a scientific law. It just isn't the theory of relativity. Don't let anybody tell you it's a, it's an Einstein was right because that's what you're going to hear from everybody who supports Einstein is once they ask the question, it is their glee is Einstein was right. Einstein was right. And um, so they're looking for confirmation of that instead of looking for the thing that would disprove that. And here is the, the, the odd thing about, about confirmation bias. If you want it, it will be there. Yeah. But it will be there while the antithesis or the thing that is contrary to that is laying there just shining like a bright diamond, mm. but you're not looking for that. I mean, you'll even put on sunglasses to keep from seeing the bright diamond. Uh, you'll do everything to avoid that. And, um, but we don't, we don't do that. We, that's, uh, let me put it this way. We, endeavor to never do that mm. uh there's still times daniel i still catch myself trying to prove something right yeah and then i realize you know hey uh, if if i want this to be right it will be right mm -hmm. all baptists every person in the church of christ believes and are convinced and they find everything in the Bible to support it, that if you do not believe in Jesus and are baptized in the name of the Father or in the name of Jesus only, you are not saved. Yeah. Now, there's millions of people in the church Christ, and they all believe that mm -hmm. for one reason. They looked for the bias that would prove them right. Yeah. And you go through uh, 45,000 denominations. That's why people believe what they believe is because of confirmation bias. That's why when you just as what's going on immediately, let me bring it to the immediate uh, now and now. And that is, please understand that when people ask us questions about what we're saying and why we're saying it in compared to this or that, we answer the question every time. We attempt to answer the question. What you're going to see is those that we many times are addressing really because we want some answers. We want to know 
where did you find that? Tell me where that is. And the standing question has been for about 10 years now on the issue of the fallen mindset is the only thing that was wrong with Adam, and therefore Jesus becomes uh, pretty much completely void. They all have a different degree as to what involvement Jesus played, but dying and taking away sin, that's just not a part of it. Mm. That the blood of Jesus was something special about it, There's that's not a part of it. So when they make these statements, uh, as they do repeatedly, about this doctrine that man was always righteous from uh, creation and being created in the image of God, we ask them, just show us, show us something to put a toehold on. Show us a line. Show us where somebody in the scriptures, a prophet prophesied it, where, where does the law work that out? Where does uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, where does any of these put these things? And where is that stated? And it's crickets every time. Mm-hmm. In fact, we've been blocked every time yeah. by every one of them. I don't understand that. That is what I call intellectual dishonesty. And uh, and until they start answering questions, I'm going to tell you they are intellectually dishonest. Yeah, and they definitely are not being captains, and they are definitely promoting uh, confirmation bias. They they do promote confirmation bias, and the you know one of the things that is um, at the crux of this is who killed Jesus. Everybody's got a verse that supports their position. Uh, well, that now you see it was it uh, wasn't the Jews that killed Jesus. Why? Because I got a verse over here that says that uh, Jesus said nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. Okay, so that's true, and this isn't. No, they're both true. Mm-hmm. And then it's uh, it's like uh, no, don't tell me that God needed a sacrifice. And uh, yet at the same time, then you find all the verses in the world about the sacrifice for sin, that it was man who required the sacrifice, not God. And yet it says repeatedly that it was God. Mm -hmm. But And and then uh, I remember finding in Acts, it says that, um, that what happened at the cross was done as it was predestined to be done by the Jews, by the Gentiles, and by the uh, authorities of the time, that all three of them were had a hand in killing Jesus. Mm. Then you say, well, the Father had nothing to do with it. Well, you can't plan something out yourself and instruct everybody as to how they're going to think and what they're going to do, just as it says in Acts, that God, uh, they did as was preordained for them to do. By God, you cannot have a group of people who all are being were programmed to do a certain thing by the Godfather, (laughs) (laughs) and then say that the guys who actually acted it out are the, the, quote, guilty parties and the, quote, Godfather had nothing to do with it. Mm. 
So uh, which one of these is true? They are all simultaneously true. And uh, nobody took Jesus's life. He gave it of himself. Mm. He and the Father both planned it out before the foundation of the world. When it happened, the Jews, the, the Gentiles, and the authorities at the time did all that was preordained for them to do. Mm. Uh, so when you uh, hear somebody say, yeah, then them Jews are Christ killers. True, but so were the Gentiles. So was the Roman authorities of the time. So also it is true that nobody took Jesus's life. Jesus laid down his life. But you see, when you're looking for confirmation bias, you will take one of these about the crucifixion and they will be, that verse will be your stalwart. That verse is going to be your position and you're going to wave that flag every time you walk across the stage. You'll have the banner of Jesus said, nobody took my life. I gave it myself. Then or you will wave the other banner or the other banner or the other banner or the other banner. There is about five descriptions as to who, how, what were involved in Jesus's death. And uh, we just get so narrow-minded looking for confirmation bias, but you have to eliminate the others. Here in the Gospel Revolution, we can incorporate all five reasons, mm -hmm. and we don't feel threatened about our doctrine because everything that we teach is subject to change. Yeah. Mm. I love it. I love this methodology and hermeneutics that we use to uh, uh, read through the Bible understand the Hebrew scriptures and, uh, and, and to be free from confirmation bias and, and the ability to think free really allows us to, to entertain any idea. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think in that it's, uh, it truly is, <laughs> it, it's a wonderful world. It's a, a wonderful, uh, mm -hmm. process to come to understand that, uh, we don't have to, to through the years of people addressing me about what I understand, you know, they try to put us in a box, you know, are you yeah. a universalist? Are you a this? Are you a that? Or, and, um, you know, the truth is, is I don't think we fit in a box. <laughs> you know, I, I would love, I, there's part of me that would love to say we're of this group or that group. We have no opposition to being identified with a group, Yeah, but, by but what the groups are is to identify what you think about something. Mm -hmm. And I don't know of a group that identifies what any of us think about anything. Let me say this also, and we'll move on from this, Daniel. Um, and even if you disagree with us, you would love engaging with us. Mm -hmm. Because when you ask a question uh, and you say, well, I perceive or I see this is what it says here. How does that fit here? We're not going to just say, oh, no, 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 no. That's wrong. You're wrong. Most every question that comes to me in that fashion, I get the opportunity of saying, honestly and truly, I see how that could work out. Mm -hmm. And I see how that thought could result in the persuasion that you have. And it's because I truly can see how it would result. And so in a result, and from that resolve, 
in that we're able then to say, well, then what about this and what about that? The questions that people ask are going to be answered with questions. Mm -hmm. And then I look back and it's like, my goodness, that's how Jesus taught. (laughs) Uh, Not to compare myself with Jesus. A little confirmation bias there, I suppose. (laughs) But um, uh, questions are the light. I don't know how long have we been saying this. Decades, questions are the lifeblood of the gospel revolution. And yes, there are things we are very much persuaded of, and we are going for knowledge, not beliefs. Uh, and uh, But even the knowledge that we know that we know is also subject to changing, mm-hmm. because we may know something next week about that subject that we didn't know this week. We have been uh, going through these commands and teachings of Christ, and we have a list from a specific Christian organization um, who has produced a list of commands that we should follow through the teachings and the life of Christ. As we have been examining these, and we're doing just exactly what we talked about earlier, is uh, we have been putting aside confirmation bias and looking at each and every one of these commandments and saying and asking ourselves the question, uh, are these commands that we are supposed to follow today, are they for us in the year uh, 2023 or 2060 or any year after the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross of Jesus? Are these things that we should be looking at? And uh, so far, we have we have concluded up to this point that all of these commands and those that we have identified as commands, some we had identified as just you know uh, wise sayings or good advice, and not really a command. Uh, so far, up to this point, what we have found is that these were all predestined events. Yes, for the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross, for the fulfillment of the law for the fulfillment of all things and to enter us into this new world. And last week uh, was really wonderful because mm. we had looked at uh, the, the process of the disciples and the specific command that this website give, gave was to be a wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And as we backed up that context, uh, we really came to a great understanding about what part in uh, this process, what part of the plan that the disciples played. Mm. And uh, one of those parts was the miracles, the signs yeah. and the wonders and the raising the dead and casting out demons and what part that played. I was, as we always get excited, I was excited to see that that was actually prophesied in Isaiah chapter eight, yeah. that this is exactly what the disciples would do. Uh, these miracles, that they would be a sign uh, to the Gentiles and that these disciples would minister only to the house of Israel and the conclusion that we came to that. So if you haven't gotten that episode, go ahead and listen to that last one, because where we're going today is actually in that same context. 
today's command is to fear not. And it's in this same uh, commission, if you will, that Jesus is giving his disciples on where to go and how to go and what to do when you do go. After he had told them that they were going to be in front of kings and governors and the such, um, and that they would persecute them and all of these things, he gives this command. And this is the command that we have for today. Fear not. And it's found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Mm -hmm. Now, right up front, I want to say that that word hell is the Greek word Gehenna, Mm -hmm. which is a proper noun. Mm -hmm. And we have done many teachings on that. The fact that they had translated a proper noun to hell is absolutely absurd. It would be like me changing Michael's name on his birth certificate to bodybuilder and replacing his name and taking the proper name out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what they did with hell is they took a proper name, a, a actual valley, the Valley of Hinnom, which is a biblical place that's outside of uh, Jerusalem. And they translated that into hell. So it's really says here, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. And Gehenna was a place where they had graves. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, so the, the term hell also being translated as the word graves and in mm-hmm. uh, especially in the Hebrew scriptures, but also in the New Testament also. The mistranslation is, let me, let me give a, a shout out here. Um, uh, a person that I met when I first came encountered uh, uh, Carlton Pearson in 2003, which is when Carlton's journey began, according to his own story. Carlton called me and told me he had been listening. And then over the next few months, there was a, um, a gathering at Carlton's Church of the Minds and the people that uh, he was had changed his mind because of these influences. And one of them was me. And I sat on a panel on stage with these other guys. And one of them was Harold Lovelace. Harold Lovelace, if you can find his book, that's where Carlton got all of his knowledge about hell. And then, of course, after that, Carlton begins to disperse this knowledge and never, ever, ever gives Harold Lovelace the credit for what he learned. That's that was just Carlton. Carlton always pulled information from every direction that he could, but Carlton was not very well known for letting people know where he got his information. And let me tell you, this is another thing about learning. Uh, the integrity of what you learn should be heavily notated with where you first got the idea. Mm. Uh, always, always, always don't ever stop doing that because your entire work in the end will be brought into question when people begin to find out that everything you said was quoting somebody else that had already said that. Now, we don't care here at the GR that you use, which I can sit and give you a list of people that you could hear on any daily basis around the whole world. That is using quotes from my, uh, all the way back to my tapes, my CDs, uh, 
<laughs> and they even use my stories. I mean, I get in, mm. I get embarrassed. I got embarrassed uh, hearing Kenneth Copeland teach on his uh, program out in L.A. And he was using my life stories. It's like, is he going to say he was gay also? I mean, you know, I couldn't. <laughs> and, uh, and Joseph Prince and Joseph uh, using the example of um, seeing the four winds of the, of the earth gathering around the cross and bringing all judgment swirling around and around until, bam, finally it come down on the cross. And you can go online and look and see that Joseph talked about this great revelation that he got. And I was the one that told him that. And uh, mm -hmm. then he talked about, uh, you know, to measure grace, how that the Lord took him up in the air and held him over the oceans of the world and then dunked him in the ocean and then told him as much as the water it took to get you wet. That's how much grace you've experienced. The grace that is experienced that uh, yet to be experienced is the water of the ocean. That was my story. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I do really try. Let me tell you, I learned from Daniel Rouse, and I tell people what I learned from Daniel Rouse. I learned from Ethan Massengill. He's 22 years old. And I tell people when I learned and what I learned. Uh, so this is all just a part of this whole process of confirmation bias and integrity. Have some integrity when you do teach. I don't know where... In the Christian world, it became okay. Well, it's the gospel. So, you know, so we nobody has a right to the gospel. But people do have a right to their ideas about the gospel. People do mm. have a right to their own personal testimonies that they had experienced, whether they were spiritual or not. But this, it, it's very important, folks, that, uh, and uh, let me tell you, I didn't get here totally by myself. It was mostly by myself, but there are points and places where I really learned. Harold Lovelace is one of those points. I was able to learn things. I had been pretty dismissive of hell by teaching that there are, uh, uh, that hell was a place of, so what is hell? It's a place of punishment for sin, right? Right. What's the cross? Uh, the cross is a place of punishment for sin, right? Right. Okay, so what does that make hell? It makes it irrelevant. Boom. That was my total teaching on hell. <laughs> and then smarter people than I on the subject uh, came along, and then the ultimate that I was able to learn about sin was from our own Daniel Rouse. He went into things uh, about this that Harold Lovelace never touched on. And so our learning continues. I don't know where we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it brings it up about the fact of this destruction of the soul and the body yes. in Gehenna. Yes. You know, um, Michael, we use this, at least I did, in Christianity um, to scare the hell out mm -hmm. of people, uh, literally. We said, you know, that there's uh, you need to fear God. You need to have this godly fear because if you don't get your life straight, uh, your end is a destruction of both your body and your yep, soul yep. in a burning lake of fire that'll burn forever and ever and ever. So one of our questions then at this point is we didn't. <clears throat> number one, we have an answer to the first one. Was this a teaching that was espoused before or after the cross? Before. 
All right. So we've got that going for us. The uh, one of the uh, hermeneutics of understanding what happened at the cross and the truth of the gospel is first off to be able to see what teachings were given before the cross and then what did those teachings look like after the cross? Mm. Because our stance at this point is everybody and everything changed at the cross. So if that is true, and what we're going to do is follow that thought through and see if that is applicable here. Now, uh, uh, decades ago, I began to see where this was true, just like the statement Jesus saying, if you don't forgive, your father, which is in heaven, won't forgive you. And then finding out later on, Paul says that you and I should forgive one another because uh, God has already forgiven us. Two totally different statements about forgiveness of sin. Mm. One made before the cross, one made after the cross about the same subject. So with that as a template uh, of understanding that things said before the cross may not necessarily and may by necessity have to be different mm. after the cross. Because the, uh, the situations that existed before the cross do not exist after the cross. Wow. To get a fuller understanding about what's being spoken of here. So if we set out the idea that this is not talking about a uh, fear of a God who's going to throw you into a lake of fire Mm -hmm. to burn forever and ever. Then what in the world are they talking about here? Oh, that's good, Daniel. Yeah. So first off, we eliminate the, the, the threat that Christianity puts into this before the cross teaching. Mm. Uh, Number one, this was never a threat about hell. Right. Uh, because that subject just is not in this verse whatsoever. So that alone should cause anyone to want to go back and re-examine this. When you find Gehenna there, you find that this incredible place uh, called uh, the the Valley of uh, Zebulun and Neptili and all the way down to the very... Uh, uh, Valley of the Shadow of Death being uh, described by many scholars as Gehenna itself. So, uh, and it was all within this place that Jesus uh, was born, lived, taught, suffered, died mm. in the Valley of the Shadow of Death. So, uh, if that is, if that means something about the life of Jesus, so when you are talking about Gehenna, you're basically talking about something that is relative to a before the the cross. Mm. All right? Yep. If that is true, then we continue that thought to see what in the world this is. Are we still looking unto a God who has to fear him based on the fact that he not only can destroy the body, but he can also destroy the soul in the grave. Mm. So where do we go, Daniel? I'm I'm clueless. <laughs> I, I will say up front that this uh, very verse is um, a partial quote out of the book of Isaiah. But before we go there, um, I wanted to look here just at the the verses that surround this in awesome. this teaching of Christ. 
Um, of course, Jesus is sending his disciples out. We went through that last week. The very reason why he brought up this fear is because he told them that they were going to be in front of governors, that they were going to be in front of kings, and that they would be persecuted. But don't fear these guys. So if I go back up to verse 27, well, verse 26. <laughs> I'm pulling a Michael here. Let's go one more. <laughs> uh, verse 26. Therefore, do not fear them. Who? All these kings and these governors and those who persecute you. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. Whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Mm. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Mm. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Mm. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Wow. Uh, so uh, first off, Let's uh, let's pull back all of these teams of preachers on this side of the cross, telling people that God knows the number of hairs on their heads and that they are more important than a sparrow, uh, that uh, God knows what they need. Therefore, he's going to feed you. Uh, and thanks for playing. Mm. Uh, but uh, don't work out, folks. Um, what that leads to by teaching people this now, gosh, do you feel warmed and fuzzied and, and do you feel like, oh my God, Jesus is just a part of my every breath, my every, uh, uh, my everything. And the, the odd thing is, is we say, yes, he is a part of your every, 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 but is he controlling these things? Is this something that is a, a after the cross mentality? We have to understand that according to the scriptures, everything was predestined according to Ephesians chapter one. Everything was predestined from before the foundation of the world to the cross. Mm. After that time, then there's something called freedom. Freedom means that nobody is predestining anything in your life. You cannot declare that you are free and that God is in control of your life at the same time. Yeah. Those two thoughts do not exist in the same place. And this is where Christianity and all religions around the world get so murky and get so controlling and so condemning and so uh, uh, you, you just get to the point where that you're exasperated with within where is God in my life? Because if a, if a sparrow, God takes acknowledge of the sparrow, what happened about my child that just uh, walked out into the path of a car? Mm -hmm. What about that little sparrow? What about these hairs that are no longer on my head? Uh, you know, are Daniel and I given God a less uh, job to do by uh, <laughs> by shaving our heads? I mean, that was, I'm, that was my first thought was just let's have mercy on God. He doesn't have a, that much more to do anymore. <laughs> we are going to present to you this thought that every bit of this was part of 
the plan of God to lead up to the resolve of predestination and the deliverance of man into absolute freedom from these things. Mm. The same as seek, ask, and knock are not a prescription for an after-the-cross prayer life. These things are not a description of how life is now after the cross. Wow. So I'm seeing that even in this fear that they had of the kings and the governors Mm -hmm. and all of that, the persecution that they would go through, that was all necessary before the cross. And fulfilled. Yes. uh, Mm. Before the cross. This and and Jesus speaking even and and including of himself because all of it was about him anyway. Mm. Uh, So he was brought before kings. He was brought before the authorities. He was the one that actually experienced all of this. Uh, We know these other guys did go through some of these things, but if uh, if none of them had gone through anything, the fact of it is all of these prophecies were about Jesus and Jesus was quoting a prophecy Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, about these, uh, about these times and well, about that time in particular. So uh, Daniel, I I can't uh, possibly describe what life becomes once that you are not going around thinking that uh, Jesus is doing your thinking for you, Mm. that Jesus is finding you parking places, that Jesus has just got everything under control, that Jesus is just, uh, and and, and one thing that I've noticed is where that Jesus becomes the fly in the ointment, not the one you turn to to trust, these people switch to father. Father did this, and Father did that, and Father I prayed, and Father did this, and Father did that, because mm-hmm. we're trying to to uh, we're trying to save God. Yeah. God saved Himself and you, folks, mm-hmm. to whatever degree saving needed to be done. This is really quite important because to have the mind renewed. To understand that these are not current day instructions or a how-to manual or a revelation of your, quote, relationship with God now, it is so vitally important that you know that this was indeed all fulfilled. Part Mm -hmm. of this, of course, it starts with Everything that was in darkness is going to be brought to light. That's not talking about the dirty things you did in your in your bedroom. Come on. Uh, that is, boy, you said come on really. <laughs> <laughs> These are not about the things that you got mad on the telephone with the uh, uh, with the uh, person on the on the telephone call that was trying to sell you something or the. Uh, it, you know, we've got people now, uh, have you seen the new thing? Uh, and and all, everybody that's told me about this method is Christian people. Now, these people just have jobs. I realize they have jobs to call you and to try to sell you something. 
But the one thing that they've started doing is laying their cell phone down and start be- putting uh, under a pot and start beating on the pot with a uh, with a spatula. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's like, folks, you could really damage somebody's ears like that that's sitting there with a headset on. I mean, how about just saying no thank you? Mm-hmm. Uh because you evidently are extremely offended. And I've had people tell me this and just kind of laugh about it. And after a while, I started looking back and I thought, you know, that's really, really quite rude. Mm-hmm. We have depersonalized everything to personalize our relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Folks, th- this world is not going to get better by the degree of personal relationship you have with Jesus. It is going to be the degree of personal relationship you have with humans. Mm. Mm. That's good. So now that we have cleared that up, that this is something that was ordained before the cross, mm-hmm. we understand. Uh, Michael, even here in verse 31, it says, do not fear, therefore. You are more value than many sparrows. You know, when he just told us to fear him, who is able to destroy yeah. both body and soul, then he wraps it up and says, you're of great value. So, ah, don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this commandment so far, I mean, even in the context, without even going to the Hebrew scriptures or looking at anything else, Michael, uh, this is just very much showing us that this fear, even the fear of God, is not something that we are supposed to have. Yeah, and it's also validating that it is something that used to be. Yes. Uh, It affirms both. It speaks of both things all in one breath. Yeah. Which is what we were talking to you about earlier, Mm. uh, is that some people would look at this and uh, get confirmation bias out of it. But if you look at it open-mindedly, you'll realize that it says both things. Mm. It does say what Daniel said. And what it obviously says is that you're, we don't, we're not supposed to be fearing God. Mm-hmm. Now, what one group would say is, yay, hey, we found it. We found the key to that our side is right. But if it says that you don't have to fear God, the verses actually talk about fearing God, and we see that on this side of the cross, you've got to understand that it's on the other side of the cross is that fear of God was very much a part of mm. the way that Jesus said, these are Jesus's words, folks. According to Jesus, fear, 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 and then don't fear. And our aforementioned trembled in their boots. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad that whatever I think, I am ready to change my mind Mm. with better information. Why wouldn't you? Mm Mm-hmm. So, as I mentioned, this is a quote out of Isaiah. Now, last week, if you went with us, we went through pretty much Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. uh, Looking at, and what we saw in it was this prophecy about the disciples. But actually, as we were studying that out, this is the verse that led us to Isaiah chapter 8. This fear them which kill the body, not able to kill the soul. Uh, this is the uh, verse that brought us and was referenced here in Isaiah chapter 8. And I'll read that for you. That's Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 12. Mm. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Mm. The Lord of hosts, him 
you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Jesus kind of knew something then. Mm. One of the most amazing things about these teachings in Matthew, relentlessly, we have found them prophesied. Every single teaching, we have found that teaching prophesied about by a prophet from hundreds and hundreds of years before these things were spoken. Then it's also interesting to see how with translations, it does go through that. It does quote what Jesus had to say about fearing God, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, But the one thing that it does not have in it is any threat of going to hell. The, I, Daniel, is it there at all? No, uh, but in the context, and because we went through it last week, in the context, once you get to chapter nine, the shadow of death shows up. Wow. Now, the shadow of death, and it, it, it describes it just as you have, uh, the land of Zebulun and the land of Neptali, uh, and in beyond the Jordan, in the Galilee of the Gentiles. And it says in 9 verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Mm. And isn't that what Jesus told them to do? He said that uh, whatever you hear in this darkness, whatever you see in this darkness, this light that I'm showing you, preach yeah. it on the housetops, preach it on the rooftops. My, and, my, my. and that's what it's saying here is it's saying that the people who walked in this darkness, where was this darkness? It was in the shadow of death. It was in yeah. this, these Israelites were in the shadow of death. They were mm-hmm. in this darkness. But the very command and the very uh, thing that the disciples were sent to do, and that's in chapter 8 again, is that we should bind up this testimony, seal the law amongst the de- my disciples, for they will be a sign and they shall be a wonder for Israel. And mm. so this is all part of this predestined plan was that God was going to send out his disciples. Jesus was going to send out his disciples into the shadow of death into Gehenna, if you will, Mm -hmm. and he was going to shine this light. And what was there, and they were all bound for judgment, no doubt about that, according to the law and according to the commands of God, all of these people were destined for judgment. And in the Bible story, the Gehenna really paints this picture of judgment. Uh, there, Mm -hmm. There really is a lot of judgment that takes place because of its history. They used to um, they used to sacrifice children to the yeah. god of Moloch in this place. Uh, there, there were fires. There was a place of sacrifice, if you will. So this picture is is a picture that the Jewish mind would have in place when they hear the word Gehenna. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a history there, but there definitely was a place where they were headed to judgment. But in that dark place, in that shadow of death, what happened? A light shined forth. Yes, and please let us uh, emphasize this. The darkness was as prescribed by God as the light was. Yes, thank you. Uh, This darkness they didn't stumble into. Mm. Uh, They didn't accidentally fall in darkness. They were prescribed for darkness. But you see, uh, anybody that is going to paint a picture knows that you need to lay down a color in the background to cause the, the, the colors that are actually going to be in the painting 
to show up even brighter. I've told you guys about my, my TV set and the one that I picked out. And they showed me the reason that the colors in my TV set that I bought was so brilliant was because the black behind the the screen behind the picture in the screen built into the TV was the darkest dark of black that was ever put into a TV set. Uh, this contrast, contrast is vitally important to get a message across. And God knew he was dealing with human beings. Well, why didn't God just do it this way? He knew who he was dealing with. Mm. He knew. Uh, don't you think that God knew how we were learning? But also, God was learning how to uh, uh, to see what it was like to be a human. Because now, if you if you don't believe that Jesus, that God became a human, see the concept is there, the prototype is there. Did God become a human? Yes. Now we're telling that human, telling you that humans became God, and suddenly people freak out. Mm. But you see, just the same as Christ was a, a God who became a human, he was also a human that became God. Yeah. So this is not an outlandish great leap of logic. In fact, it is the following through with the with the very types and shadows established in hundreds of chapters uh, and dozens of books in the Hebrew scriptures. And just so you know that Michael's not just making this up, listen to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22. They will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness. Remember, this is all part of the prophecy. Mm -hmm. Gloom of anguish. They will be driven into darkness. Mm -hmm. So there, this driving into darkness was a prophecy. This was part of the plan, but it wasn't the end of the plan. Because yeah. then if you go into chapter two, as I just read, that this people who walked in darkness, they saw the great light. Yes. And if you go on on to verse six, for unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. Mm. And uh, the one thing that we see in the context of the prophecy is that the disciples going out and healing the sick and cleansing the lepers and raising the dead is part of the bright light that was shining yes. to point people to the, the coming of the Savior and the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. uh, this is this is what you call advertisement, folks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, this is what you call prepare ye the way of the Lord, uh, mm -hmm. uh, make his uh, path straight. The power of this and the intricate detail. The disciples did not just fulfill a role by being called and called the twelve. There's even the uh, the the um, uh, declarations made that the, each of these represented each of the 12 tribes of Israel, that one disciple represented a tribe. What we see here is the progression of a story. Uh, don't come up with a uh, conclusion about the way things are and then assume I, I might have to say with great ignorance that things have always been that way. Mm -hmm. uh, just because you see it this way, that means it was always this way. 
the uh, one thing that we dep- can depend on is change, and uh, things did change, and that uh, also includes the process that took place. Uh, things started changing very rapidly after God created the heavens and the earths, and then um, uh, he uh, created Adam and then uh, created Eve, created Adam out of the dust of the earth, and then took Eve out of the rib of man, uh, according to the the story. Uh, But the fact of it is, these are not disjointed. Forgive me for using ribs and disjointed at the same time. Uh, (laughs) uh, These are not disjointed stories. These are elaborately tracked from generation to generation is part of what we're going to do in the conference. Uh, I've, I've got all of these incredible co- uh, concepts. Daniel and I are uh, thinking them through and Ethan, but I can tell you right now, I have no clue how this conference is going to transpire or what it's going to result in. Um, mm. Because we've, these are the things that, uh, that I've learned and Daniel have learned. And then of course, Ethan, has learned in uh, his intense study. I mean, uh, Ethan's big thing as a 22-year-old for a great Saturday is to start at 10 o'clock in the morning reading the book of Genesis and still be reading at 7 o'clock in the evening. You know, uh, he is inspired. He His mind has switched from his Pentecostalism that he was raised in for 18 years, and he now sees and now he thinks. And he was telling me the other day, he said, Mike, I never thought about any of this stuff. I had it all shoved down my throat. I was told this and that, and it made me live in fear and depression and anxiety and uh, constant confession of my sins and uh, as you've heard him say on his videos, he couldn't even close his eyes because he was afraid that God was going to let a demon come into the bathroom with him mm. and let soap run into his eyes because he couldn't even close his eyes but out of absolute, absolute fear. Uh, all of that's gone. Uh, I, I know it's gone because I heard him whistling in the shower the other day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you don't whistle while you're waiting for a demon to come and get you. Um, so um, uh, drastic changes, folks. We are talking about uh, drastic changes of existence on planet Earth. And many of you feel that we are robbing you of your mm. personal relationship with Jesus. Therefore, what we're doing cannot possibly be a good thing. We're telling you Jesus doesn't find you a parking place at Walmart. We're telling you that healing and miracles and raising from the dead was a period of time that took place for a specific reason. And you know that there's the healing ministries that span this earth. The problem is they cannot produce any proof of any miracles. They're all fabricated. Daniel's been through it. I was in it. I've been all the way from Benny Hinn to Kenneth Hagin and in the meetings. And I always heard all of these great miracles that took place in all the meetings I was not in. Do you you know what I had to decide? It wasn't, maybe if somebody's exaggerating these stories, but I heard about all these great miracles. I just couldn't wait wait to get in the meeting, but they never happened when I was there. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh my God, it's me. 
uh, it's it's the sin in my life that's preventing the Holy Ghost from doing what he did last week. And then I come in the next week and he stops doing all this stuff. And But I realized people were saying he did stuff in the very meeting I was in, but I saw, I didn't see it. So you begin to even incriminate yourself. I know many of you stayed away from certain prayer meetings. I remember, dear Lord, praying for one of the most uh, precious people on the earth of a very dear friend of mine who spent their whole lives at Christ for the Nations and um, uh, dedicated, committed. Uh, they uh, they traveled with me for uh, a period of time. Uh, in fact, uh, Tony did. And uh, now uh, she had childhood diabetes and then uh, had uh, six, uh, five kids, I think, against all odds, but still died with, uh, 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 died blind. She went blind a couple of, three decades ago and raised kids. And that, what a wonderful testimony of the endurance of life. But folks, mm. it's not a testimony of the miraculous nature of miracles. Uh, yeah, but she had babies that she wasn't supposed to have. No, the doctors told her she should not get uh, pregnant because of the risk. She defied the risk and the, 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 it, it turned out in her favor. If she can defy the risk and it turned out in her favor that she had children that were healthy, why did she die with diabetes still blind after 30 years? Mm-hmm. You see those things, and but I see, and, and man, I'm telling you, Tony is one of the most precious people I've ever met in my life, uh, generous and kind. And But as they got involved in faith, I remember watching a video of them, and they, of course, have heard what I was teaching. And of course, our relationship drifted apart because of it. And uh, they were standing up and they said, you know, one thing's happening right now. It's all grace, 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 grace. Everybody's talking about grace. Uh, But we think faith is what needs to be talked about. While he's standing there with his wife, blind. But Hmm. see, desperation creates those obsessions with things that are not true. They never turned out to be true. And if God was wanting to show himself, this was for signs and wonders. Uh, Well, the sign and wonder would not have been the ability to have five children that turned out healthy against the odds, but the odds were that she could have, but the odds were that she was never going to see again, and she never did. Mm -hmm. So, and these things, I don't share these things to put people down, folks. We share these things because there's a great darkness that once again has covered the earth. But it's not a darkness that is imposed by God. This is a darkness that has been been imposed by Christianity. And we are Mm -hmm. speaking against this darkness. And uh, we are sharing the light of the gospel in these very dark times. Well, Mike, what is the difference? The difference is that with up until the cross, it was an imposed darkness by God himself. And then the light that came was a light that came from God. The darkness that exists now is imposed by man and imposed by Christianity and the religions of the world. That does not mean the light has not come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. Mm. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's good preaching, brother. Okay, so fear. Mm. 
fear not. So we understand now we don't have to fear God. Mm. There is nothing to be afraid of, of God. Those days are over. That time is done. The judgment was, uh, was fulfilled and done in Christ. He took upon himself all the judgment of the world. And so there is, don't fear a God who's able to destroy your soul and your body in Gehenna, in the shadow of death. There was a death yeah. that took place in the shadow of death, uh, and that was mm-hmm. the death of Christ. And he died on behalf of mm-hmm. all humanity, or if one died, then all died. And because of that death, we are, are now raised into this new life. And um, we did a, um, a a podcast a while back. You were born mm-hmm. this way. <laughs> and I love that because uh, you, Michael, I, anyone listening at this point in history, um, you didn't go through that. Yes. Death. We oh, were just born this God. way. We were just born in this light. We were born righteous, mm-hmm. holy, blameless, sinless. And there's no fear in that. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. So don't fear God. And uh, you know what? You don't have to fear man either, because man can't take this away from you. Man can't take the righteousness away from you. Man cannot take your identity away from you. Uh, The one who could, the one who had the power, instead of taking it away, he gave it to everybody. You know, uh, I uh, got a text uh, recently. I'd love to own this for my own. I, you know, I, I threaten people. I'm going to use that and, and tell people I thought of it, but I just <laughs> never can do it. So, <laughs> but uh, another uh, uh, text that I got from Chris uh, Stewart. And um, uh, now Chris may have uh, learned this from somebody else, but the only person I know I learned it from was Chris. Uh, but uh, quite breathtaking. And uh, we actually did the research on it to see if this was hanging true. Jesus always referred uh, to his father, my father, the father, which is in heaven, father, father, I will do father, uh, those father, these father, that father, this father, 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 father. He never related to him uh, with the terminology God. Mm. The only time, the only time that Jesus referred to his father as someone other than father or any other term other than father was when he was on the cross. And then he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So what was pointed out was that Jesus, of course, was the son of God and and God was his father. But on the cross, he became a man relating to God. He became Adam. And uh, he said, Mm. my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And man, I'm telling you, my mind just ran through the Milky Way with that one, you know. And, and uh, you know, was that the voice of Adam speaking, you know, uh, that uh, this turning on this doing away with, the, with Adam. And we've had the Christian community having us deal with uh, that old Adam nature. You know, he's at a, that old nature still there. No, he's not. And that nature mm. is not there in relationship to God. We're not telling you that you're all roses and all nice and never nasty. In fact, you're probably nasty and nice in equal portions. 
Some of you are a little more nice than nasty. Some of you are more nasty than nice. Um, but uh, the, the, the fact of it is, is that in relationship to God, you are nothing but righteous. You are nothing but holy. Now, the moment and the time when I begin to relate to Daniel as righteous and holy, and he begins to relate to me on those equal terms, that's when things begin to develop in what we now call a relationship. That is true on every Mm. level. And until this world starts seeing each other as righteous and holy and God in the earth, there is no transformation. There is darkness in that lack of understanding. There is no darkness. There's no spiritual darkness on the earth because God removed the spiritually imposed darkness and replaced it with spiritually imposed light. The darkness that is here is coming out of people's mouths. It is coming out of religions. When uh, Chris shared that with me, I just thought, you know, and and had to go check. And it's like, wait, does God mean Abba, though? But it didn't. It it, it means God. And then the other places where mm. he used the word father, it was it means Abba. It's It's the Abba word every time. But on the cross, uh, the Father became God. And uh, mm-hmm. there was a difference, and we've explained that difference between God being the Father of all creation and God being the Father of sons. There's just a big difference in all of that. And where our aforementioned always miss that is the lack of acknowledging that God as a creator was a Father, but He's. I I don't know what they do with that Jesus was the first and only begotten of the Father, and that in him we all Mm. became sons of God. We're not waiting to manifest. What we saw was the manifestation of the Son of God, and any struggle to do so is darkness. It's just darkness, folks. Now, it's not darkness, spiritual darkness from Uh, But it is a darkness imposed upon our own minds, still struggling with our own righteousness and our own ways to resolve things between us and God. Why? Because there is a between us and God in your brain. And there is no between God and us in the gospel that has been thoroughly furnished and revealed. That's good news. And so it is, we must leave you, family and friends. If you'd like to know anything about the Gospel Revolution, then call our office on 832-318-9339. And speak to us about how you want to participate. Or go to www.gospelrevolution.com and hit the connect link. You can find us on your favorite social media network, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to check out Ethan on YouTube at Encounter the Hebrew Scriptures. Please be sure to hit that subscribe, share, and like button on whatever platform you are listening. Now it's good night from Daniel Rouse in the frozen tundra. And it's good night from Michael Williams right here in springtime in Clarksville, Tennessee. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to come and find out if you're lying to me or not. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awful if you got off the plane and it was uh, 10 degrees? 
<laughs> it really would be. <laughs> That'd be uh, just as bad for me as it is you. But anyway, <laughs> we're, we are promising Daniel a fair uh, skies and fair weather during his vis- upcoming visit. It, it promises to be a really wonderful time, and I'm looking forward to that. Folks, the Canada Conference will be coming up now just next month. Goodness gracious, mm. we are just weeks from the Canada Conference. And uh, uh, this is uh, it's going to be exciting. We don't really have any clue how it's going to turn out, but what's new, right? <laughs> uh, we do care. We do care very much for you guys. And uh, we love hearing from you. Uh, let us know what your questions are. We'll do our best to address them. I'm not sure that we will address them sufficiently or accurately. But uh, one thing we're not going to do is ignore them. We sure hope that you enjoyed today's PowerCast. And remember, we'll be here to do the same thing all over again next week, only better. Since you're knocking on the door, you're begging to come in, yeah. On a web that all the wild love's been knocking from within. You are the love you see. A perfect day you need, right? Constructing religion and barbecuing the sacred cows of Christianity before your very eyes. You are listening to the Gospel Revolution.